All right, brothers, welcome back to another episode of Porn of the Gospel. I am your host, Spencer Sutton, and it's great to be here with you today. Before we dive in, and I'm looking forward to this episode, we're looking forward to talking to you all about this, but before we dive in, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. If you are, so a couple of resources I have for you, if you are a brother in Christ who has been struggling with pornography and masturbation for long periods of time and you want to be done with it i have a resource for you a very it's a free resource you can go to naturalpornkiller.com and you will you'll see a page there you can actually you can access that course for free and it is a i want to say it's a 6 week course uh, maybe longer, I can't remember. But anyway, you will log in and it literally will take you week by week. And it's just a in-depth dive at looking at this issue with pornography and how the gospel addresses this, like how a man of God can be free in a way that honors and glorifies Christ. And I want to encourage you, if that's something you need help with, and maybe because you're listening to this podcast, you're like, yes, I need help. Then I want to encourage you to go and to explore that resource. And if it looks like it it matches something that you need to take part in, I want to encourage you to do that. The other resource that I have available for you that I just started is called The Man of Valor. And I'm actually going to change the name to Modern Man of Valor, but the website is themanofvalor.com. And this is an online community. So this is for any of you brothers out there who, like, this is more of a holistic approach to life. So we're not only going to be dealing with habitual sin, sexual sin, things like that, which are obviously very important to address in the life of a man of God, but also we're going to look at all aspects of life. We're going to look at business. We're going to look at health and fitness. We're going to look at family, wives, children, all of those things are highly important, like how the gospel informs us to live through all domains of life. And so if you need a band of brothers to come alongside you and to encourage you, this is something we have weekly calls. I'm building out courses in there right now that are going to be it is going to be like there's a course that's going to be all about fighting sin. Then there's going to be, then there's another course that's going to be about setting goals, setting targets, how you do that, how you achieve that. And so there's going to be all kinds of things like that. And ultimately, it's just a way for men to stay connected on a daily basis accountability, encouragement. So if you're interested in that, you can go to themanofvalor.com and check it out. All right. So we want to dive in. I want to, I've been, reading and studying the book of First Peter over the past week or so, a little bit longer than a week. And I wanted to share some things, hopefully as an encouragement to you, some very practical, like pulling truth out of this incredible book and then applying it to our lives. Like, what does it mean? So I'm going to give you some very practical steps based on some things that have been true in my life and encourage you to apply them to your life. And I do want to say this before I start this, like recording this or start talking to you about this, I want to let you know this is more descriptive than prescriptive, right? So this is more, I'm going to describe like my everyday 
plan of attack. And this is a description and it's not necessarily me saying you must do this or you have to do this. But I, but what I do want you to do is I want you to think about your own life and figure out ways that this truth can be applied to your own life because I think ultimately that's what we are called to do. And so let's dive in. I want just a brief background of First Peter. He's writing to the church. This is a group of churches, not any one particular church. And he he says it right here in verse one. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles. So you who are believers, you're elected by God's grace. You're exiles. In other words, you're not like this world is not your home. He said, elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. According, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. All right, we're not going to dive into every verse of this passage, and I'm going to keep I'm going to keep reading, but I just want you, I just want to set the stage. So Peter's saying, brothers and sisters in Christ who are scattered in this world, you are exiles. This is home. This place is not your home, and the reason why it's not your home is because God chose you, and He's sanctifying you through His Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. So for obedience to the gospel. And wow, he's setting the stage and saying, you are chosen. Okay, you're a chosen people. Don't ever forget that. And then he goes right into verse three, and he says, blessed, like praise God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it gets better. Not only are we born again to a living hope through Jesus, which is incredible, but to an inheritance. Like we have something to look forward to, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. Who? by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Brothers, we have an inheritance. This world is not our home. We are not storing up treasure here and thinking, oh, I can't wait to have everything here. We look forward. So when he's talking to this church, when Peter's talking to this church, recognize that they were struggling, they were going through some persecution, some difficult difficulties because they didn't look like the rest of the world. He says this in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers, like you, I understand that you're going through trials, but when you stop and think about this glorious inheritance that's kept in heaven for you that will, like, where thieves cannot break in and steal, rust will not corrupt it. When you think about that, I want you to understand in this you rejoice, in this inheritance given to you through the grace of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Like 
you rejoice even though you're going through trials right now. Understand there was never a people of God who didn't go through trials, who didn't who weren't tested. And then he says in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, this is joy in the Lord. This is joy in the Lord. And when you and I deeply contemplate the gospel of Jesus Christ, its implications, how it applies to our life, the glorious realities, when we think about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, choosing us, saving us, we should be filled with this inexpressible joy. Like Even though we haven't seen him like Peter saw him, we believe in him and we rejoice. And then he says in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then he takes a just a different train of thought. He said, concerning this salvation— the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were not that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the prophets that God, he raised up these prophets to speak and proclaim the truth, his truth to the nation of Israel. And they were telling of this future king that was to come, the suffering servant. And they were just like, oh, they. it says they longed to look into this, and they longed to know who was this one coming. They wanted to know him, but it says this is, they were serving you, you, like it, all of you who come after the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is what they were pointing to, this incredible, glorious gospel. And now Peter and the rest of the apostles were commanded to preach the good news in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now you, church, that's living in this area, you have this incredible, glorious gospel. This is the mystery that was hidden for ages. And Paul calls it in Colossians, he calls it Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery that not only God leads his, it's not just that God leads his people and is with Israel, it's that he now lives in us. It, and there is no Jew or Gentile anymore. He lives in us, Christ in you. Like this should blow our minds. And so the verse, the one verse I want to talk about, that all of that is leading up to verse 13. Like Peter is setting the stage and he's saying, here is doctrine that is true. Here is theology that is true. You need to understand this. No matter what you're going through in life, this is true. Doesn't matter if you live in, if you're a follower of Christ and you live in North Korea or the United States or Australia, somewhere in Europe, it doesn't matter where you live. This is true. This is true. So verse 13, therefore, 
Okay, so he's pointing back to what he had just written, and he says, therefore, because all of this is true, because we've been, we have the grace of God given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and because we've been filled with the Spirit, and because we have an inheritance that's kept in heaven for us, it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading because of all these things, therefore... Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's Peter's saying, because of all these things, because this is true, brothers, prepare your minds for action. I have a little note notation in my Bible app. I use the Olive Tree Bible app, and it says, when I touch that little notation, it says, in the Greek, this is literally girding up the loins of your mind. Now, what does that mean, girding up the loins of your mind? So when, when we're reading the translation, I'm reading out of the ESV, when it says preparing your minds for action, it literally means girding up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? That means that the people in these in this time were they wore loose clothing, baggy clothing, and he says, "Okay, what you need to do is gather up this loose clothing, tie it tight around you, prepare for action. Like get ready to move." Get ready to do something. And if you have all this loose clothing draped all over you, you're not going to be able to run very well. You're not going to be able to take action. All of this stuff is going to trip you up. And so preparing your minds for actions, and that's why he couples it with being sober-minded. What's the opposite of being sober-minded? Being drunk. And what does being drunk mean? It means you... Like you just don't have any, you're not as conscious as you are when you're sober-minded. You're not as clear thinking as you are when you're sober-minded. You lose your inhibitions. You say things that you shouldn't say. You do things that you shouldn't do. 100%. And that's why he's saying, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. No athlete, no warrior is going to get drunk before he goes to battle. Why? Because he needs to have his wits about him. There's a scene in Braveheart when he's about to be executed and this the queen of France, or I can't remember. Anyway, the woman that he's now, that has been in love with him or whatever, comes into the prison and she tries to give him like some, we might like some drug, some type of drug to numb his pain, right? So whatever that would be, and he told her he didn't want to drink it because he wanted to have his wits about him. Like He wanted to be prepared to answer any accusations that came against him when it was time for him to be executed. He wanted to feel everything. He didn't want to be numbed. And so let's look at what does this mean practically for you and me? What does this mean practically? Because this is this is very important. So I was just looking up some cross-references, and I saw like this is a theme that is in Scripture, and we're not going to dive into every Scripture that, that we could probably cross-reference, but I just saw this one from that Jesus 
in Luke 12 is recorded. He said in verse 35 through 38, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. So stay dressed for action. In other words, don't, we could probably think, don't be dressed for sleep, right? Don't put your pajamas on. Don't get ready for bed and go lay down and go to sleep. Instead, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men. I'm talking to you, brothers. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I will say, truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them like this. This is incredible. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. So twice in that verse, I see the the word awake and blessed combined. So wake up. Brothers, like we are in danger of falling asleep all of the time. We are in danger. We are in danger of sleeping. We are in danger of being conformed to this world. And especially if we're looking at our life and we don't have trials, we don't have maybe persecutions for our faith. Like in America, you can say, hey, well, here we are, we're in June, it's Pride Month, that this is persecution, but we don't know the persecution that they were going through then. We don't know the persecution that brothers and sisters around the world are in right now. But the command is still the same. Wake up. Be prepared. Get your minds ready for action. When God was sending the people out of Egypt, what did he tell them to do? He said, in this manner, you are going to eat the Passover with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. In other words, be ready. So girding up the loins of your mind is like preparing yourself, your mind for action. I was thinking about <laughs> this word from the Lord here from Jesus when he was talking about essentially stay awake. Don't be found asleep. And I remembered my one and only babysitting job that I had. It was a friend of my dad's. It was actually his partner, Dr. Patton. And we loved the Pattons, and I was a, probably a young teenager. He had kids who were younger than me, and he and his wife needed to, they were going out somewhere, maybe to a dinner, maybe to dinner or whatever the case is, but he asked my dad if I could babysit. And my dad was like, sure, yeah, yeah, Spencer can babysit. I believe I was too young to drive at the time, so I was probably 13, 14, or 15. And I went to the house, and they gave me instructions. They had two kids. And they gave me instructions, hey, this is their bedtime, this is their dinner, all this stuff. Once you put them to bed, you can chill out and watch TV or whatever. And, man, I'll tell you what, I could not get those kids to go to sleep. And and ultimately, at the end of the day, like, they weren't listening to me. And at the end of the day, I fell asleep. The kids didn't fall asleep. I fell asleep on the couch. And so I'll never forget Dr. Patton coming home and 
having to wake me up and get me in his car and take me back to the house. I slept like I had one job. Like I had one job, get the kids to bed, take care of my kids, make sure they don't tear the house down. Just watch my kids. I couldn't even stay awake. I couldn't even do that. And so can you guess how many more times Dr. Patton asked me to babysit? Exactly. None. Never was never asked again. No telling what he and his wife talked about after he got home from dropping me off. I was never asked again, brothers, we must stay awake. We must be ready for action because you and I have work to do. I just sent my kids a message. So my son's 21, my daughter's 18. I just sent them a message this morning. I was just like, oh, Grant Marion, you have work to do. Like the Lord, you, if the Lord in his grace allows you to live to my age, oh my goodness, he has so much work for you to do. And rejoice in that and be sober-minded. Be awake, be ready, be ready. And there, and I'm just thinking, my son's 21, I'm 51. There's 30 years there. And I started thinking about this. So recently I go to this gym called Iron Tribe, great friend of mine, Forrest is, owns the gym and I've been working out there for the past 11 years, almost 12 years. And we did a couple of Fridays ago, we didn't do it on Memorial Day, but we, because some of us were out of town, but we did this workout called Murph and this workout Murph is a rough workout and it's in honor. It's in memory of Lieutenant Michael Murphy. And if you've ever read the book, Lone Survivor. He was one of the Navy SEALs that was in that. It was a tr it's a true story. They were in Afghanistan. Anyway, he essentially sacrificed himself to call in help, and he exposed himself on a rock to just to get a signal through his satellite phone and called in. And anyway, he ended up dying. And so every year on Memorial Day gyms around the country, especially I would say CrossFit gyms around the country do this workout called Murph. And it's a one mile run, hundred pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, one mile run. And you need to do it with a vest on, or, or maybe you don't have to do it on a vest on, but a lot of people do it with vest on and it is a rough workout, right? So it's tough workout, but you like typically people can finish this workout somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour. And so I did it with some friends and we were wearing vest and I'll tell you, it was, it was rough. And, you know, when you get to the end of it, so I set aside an hour to do this thing. When you get to the end of it, you're like, man, thankful, thankful that we have our freedom here in this country. Thankful for people like Lieutenant Murphy who sacrifice their lives every day. So Memorial Day, we just think about that. We're very thankful for the freedoms in our country. But thinking like this life is not like doing Murph because literally an hour and you're done and you pat each other on the back and you go home. It's more like this race that was just run probably three or four weeks ago, maybe a month ago called the Cocodona 250. And this is an ultra marathon and it is 250 miles of running. It's an ultra marathon. 
And so did I have to prepare my mind for Murph? Yeah, but I knew it was going to be over relatively soon. Cocodona 250, this is a different level of preparing your mind. And I want to tell you, running a 250-mile race, which I never have done and I never will do, takes a completely different level of training. And you could never wear a 20-pound vest like Murph and do the Cocodona 250. In other words, instead, people wear as little as they possibly can get away with to run 250 miles. As a matter of fact, they have stations, aid stations that they put packs in. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, but they literally have, they take packs and they fill it all with the things that they're going to need, change of shoes, food, drinks, whatever they need, change of clothes, and they lay it out across the entire journey of this 250-mile race, which takes days, by the way, to complete. So our life is more like the Cocodona 250 than it is Murph. It is a long, drawn-out race. And so the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He doesn't say, let us run a sprint a hundred meters. He doesn't say, hey, just run for 30 minutes and you're going to be good. Don't You don't need to run for an hour. This is an endurance race. And how do we do it? We do it by looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He also had an endurance race. He endured the cross. Like his whole life was leading to Calvary. He despised despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers, you and I need to get serious. We need to get serious. Like we we desperately need the message of the gospel deep in our souls. And unfortunately, we are forgetful creatures. And unfortunately, we don't remember. And unfortunately, we don't learn. We're not very smart. And so we have to keep coming back to the gospel day after day after day. This is the way we prepare our minds. There is no endurance without the preparation of the mind. We will never finish this race. We will never run well. We will never take advantage of all of the truth. Like doc, that, all that doctrine and theology from verses 1 through 12 works its way out in our practical lives in verse 13. Because of all this, do this. Prepare your minds for action. Because this is true, it should change everything in your life, in, like it should change your entire life. And so if I continue to live inconsistently and contrary to this word, then what do I need to do? I need to keep going back to verses 1 through 12 and spend more time letting my heart and my mind dwell there. This is one of the ways that we prepare our minds. And when I'm not anchored in the truth, 
if I'm not anchored in the truth every single day, I promise you, I will, there will be loose living and feeble faith in my life. I'll be tossed around. I'll be unable to bring others to a right understanding of biblical Christianity. Not that's what I do anyway. That's the work of the Spirit. But I'll be unable to demonstrate what that looks like. I'll drift, like Hebrews 2.1 talks about, when he says, you have to pay careful attention to chapter 1 of Hebrews, like this incredible truth of Jesus Christ, or else you'll drift away. We'll be half alive and half dead, limping through life with no real power. And if this is you, or this is me, then we need to heed the words of Jesus and wake up and prepare our minds for action. So this gets me to the point. How do we do this? What does this look like? What does this look like? And if you're a brother in Christ and you've never been discipled, if you've never been like taken aside and said, listen, I'm imperfect by another man and says, I'm imperfect. I don't get it right. I'm not going to pretend I am. I'm not going to live a life of fantasy and tell you one thing and live another way. If you've never been pulled aside and shown what it means to be a man of God and live like trusting and believing the truth and telling the truth, then I want to tell you how I go to war every single day. And again, I this is not this is descriptive. This is what I'm doing. But I want to encourage you, by the grace of God, to figure this out for yourself. I want to encourage you. I want to beg you to figure this out. Now, you can take what I'm going to give you right here, and then you can go and do something just like it, whatever you want to do. I just want to encourage you, brothers, preparing your mind is serious business. You cannot afford, like you and I cannot afford to drift through life. So how do we do this? I'm going to I'm going to give you some things that I do that I think again you can take and do what you want to with. First thing that I do is I commit to the morning. I commit to the morning. That's it. Like I was just having coffee with a brother the other morning. And he and I were texting back and forth about when we could get together. And he's very busy. He's a physician. He's very busy. I'm busy, part of a growing business. And so we both have pretty busy schedules. And he he said, are you good in the mornings? And I said, I'm an early riser. Yes. And he said, okay, great. How about 6 a.m.? This Starbucks opens at 5. Why don't we meet at 6? And I said, perfect. So 6 o'clock it is. That means that by six o'clock, I need to have already spent time in the Word. I need to already have done my work, my time with the Lord early in the morning before that. You need to think about, this is my encouragement to you. If If you and I were sitting across the table from each other and you were saying, Spencer, how can I overcome the sin of pornography and masturbation? I would say, number one, commit to the morning. Now, I don't have the scriptures pulled up, but many times David talks about the morning in his Psalms, like many times. And I just, it's hard for me to understand how I could go through the day 
start my day without the word. And so this brother and I were talking and he's going through some trials right now. And he just said, man, I just, I cannot wait to get up in the morning. I cannot wait to open my Bible and read my Bible every morning. Weekends doesn't matter. And I was just like, man, this is beautiful. This is incredible. This is like in his trials, like he's not struggling with sexual sin. This is something completely different. And I was just like, man, praise God. This is to me, step one is committing to the morning. So what my morning looks like is at 4.30, I'm usually out of bed by 4.30. Now I'm laughing about this as I'm recording this because this morning I woke up at 5.15 and that is not typical. Allison and I stayed up later than usual last night watching a movie together and yeah, have to be super transparent there. But 4.30, I would say 98% of my mornings are 4.30. I'm out of bed. So what I do, I go downstairs, I start my coffee, I let the dogs out. I actually do the dishes. If there's any dishes in the sink, I'm putting them in the dishwasher. My daughter is responsible for emptying the dishwasher. So that's our little game. And then once I let the dogs back in, I fix myself some protein, like a protein shake, typically a protein shake, a banana at this point, a banana, and then a like a Kodiak, that brand Kodiak, the oatmeal. That's typically what I'm doing. Of course, that's this stage in life. I could change that completely, but it's usually always going to involve coffee. And then I sit down, get done drinking my shake, banana, the oatmeal. That's done. The dogs are settled. They're ready to go back to sleep. And that's when I just stop. I slow down. I've got four prayers and I I don't, I should have probably brought up exactly what scriptures they're tied to. Some of you may know them, but I think I've done a, a, done another podcast where I talked about this and it's, I got it from John Piper, something that he prays every morning before he reads the word. It's I O U S, but regardless, these are the prayers. I just pray. Like the very first thing I do is I just pray that God would open my eyes and Show me incredible things in his word. Just, Lord, open my eyes. Let me behold beautiful things in your word. The next is, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Like, I know that my flesh is all about me. That's the crazy thing. That is the crazy thing. I recently read a quote by, I think it was D.A. Carson, And this is what he said. Let me see if I can find it real quick. D.A. Carson says this. He says, we human beings are a strange lot. We hear high moral injunctions and glimpse just a little the genuine beauty of perfect holiness and then prostitute the vision by dreaming about the way others would hold us in high esteem if we were like that. The demand for genuine perfection loses itself in the lesser goal of external piety. The goal of pleasing the Father is traded for its pygmy cousin, the goal of pleasing men. And oh, brothers, this is so true, the temptation. And this is why I pray, Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, because I know my flesh would rather, my flesh would rather look 
like I have my life together. My flesh would rather look holy, even taking these this, these pictures from the Gospels and saying, oh, if other people thought I lived my life like this, how good it would be if they thought so highly of me. This is what D.A. Carson is saying. And so before I begin, Lord, I need to understand, need to see beautiful things out of your law. And then, oh, by the way, as you give me these things, as you give me treasure from your word, Lord, I just pray, I just pray that I, I, you would incline my heart to your testimonies, turn my hearts to, to obeying you and not to selfish gain. Satisfy me this morning with your steadfast love so that I may rejoice and be glad all of my days. So I pulled these passages. I found my little document that I have. And so this is where the verses come from. If you want to write them down. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 18 is talking about opening our eyes to behold wondrous things out of his law. Psalm 119 36 is inclining our hearts to his testimonies and not to selfish gain. Psalm 86 11 is teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I think I botched that one up a little bit. And then Psalm 90 verse 14 is satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. So it, even just taking that last verse there, Psalm 90, 14, satisfy us in the morning. Like I need your love. I need to be satisfied in the morning because I know that I'm going to be tempted throughout the day so that I can rejoice and be glad all our days. So that's how I begin my day. That's exactly the steps I take. And so now I'm ready to read the word. I'm ready to open the word. Now, there's a lot. <laughs> this podcast can't unpack all the ways that this happens or should happen in the life of a believer in the free course that, that you can go check out. I do have a whole section that's all about spiritual disciplines. In the community at themanofvalor.com, there's going to be an entire section about how we do this practically, like step by step, and how I do it. You could, there's many different ways you can do it. It just depends on how you want to attack this. But I did read something that I want to share with you that I thought was very helpful. There's a couple of books on spiritual disciplines you can go read, one by Dallas Willard, and the other one, I can't remember the other one that I read that was really fantastic. However, I'm just going to share something really quick. I read this recently by a pastor. His name's Daniel Doriani, and he wrote a he wrote a commentary on First Peter that I'm reading alongside of as I'm studying First Peter. I'm also reading this commentary, but I thought he said something very wise here when he says, "How should we read the Bible?" He said this: First, we need to read. He gave four points. First, we need to read the Bible seriously. This means we take the Bible literally when it expects us to do, but we read it metaphorically when appropriate. Peter expects us to take it literally when he reports that Jesus performed miracles, died on the cross, and rose again. So take the word, take the Bible seriously. Number two, read it holistically. That is, we don't snatch isolated statements from the Bible and find meaning that the authors never intended. We let the Bible's grand themes guide us. Third, we read the Bible personally. We take the Bible to heart instead of using it to condemn others. Like it would be very easy for me to read my Bible and pray that other people would be more like me, right? So we see this, Jesus told the story of the, I think the, I can't remember if it was a Pharisee or the publican and the 
tax collector. And one was like, thank God I'm not like everybody else. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not a sinner like everybody else. Another guy was like, oh, Lord, like I, he just beat his chest and said, God, I don't deserve your grace. We read the Bible personally. Make it personal for you. So even as I'm thinking and reading the scripture and saying, prepare your minds, and I'm on this podcast telling you to prepare your minds, I'm telling myself to prepare my mind. Like I, this is this will never not be true for me. This will never not be needed for me. I need to preach the gospel to myself every single day. And then lastly, he says, finally, we should read the Bible meditatively. It's good to listen to teachers and preachers, whether live or through a convenient medium. But at some point, if someone wants to grow as a Christian, he or she must become an active reader, carefully contemplating everything the Word says. Brothers, 100% agree with this. Like all of those points. And so when I open the Bible, the first thing I'm doing is I'm just, I'm usually reading a book of the Bible. Like I'm just choosing a book. It's the study of Judges, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. It took me a year to go through Psalms and I'm not, I'm really honestly not even done with it yet. I'm still at the, I'm at the end of Psalm 119. So I have more to go. <laughs> Got a lot more chapters to go, which is fantastic. It's been great. But choosing a book, a text, and slowly going through it, right? So reading the Word in those ways is what you and I need to be doing. And then from there, as I'm reading, and I'm reading it in context, I'm looking up different words. So I have an app called the Olive Tree Bible app. And you can get whatever translation you want. If you just get the Olive Tree Bible app, you can download any kind of translation you want. And then it's a study Bible, so it is going to have cross-references. So I, I love looking up cross-references. And then what I've discovered that I absolutely love, I think I downloaded like the concordance or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but and I'm going to pull it up right here. But I'm able to highlight a word. So if I choose a word, if I choose a word, let me, I'm just going to take in verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action. I'm going to highlight the word minds and I'm going to click There's a little button that says look up and I hit look up and it's given me two options. One is carnal mindedness. So that's fleshly or worldly. Another one's minds. And if I click minds, just the word M-I-N-D-S, it's giving me a concordance of different different verses and passages this is used in. So if I'm looking at this ESV concordance on mind, I can look at all of these passages that the word mind is used. And I can, not only can I look at the verse, I can look at the original Greek meaning of the word in those different verses. And then I can pull up the dictionary. And so it's incredibly helpful. I will just say it's been very helpful to me to dig a little bit deeper. And it's up to you how like deep you want to go into it. Now, as for somebody that is working, who has a family, is busy, obviously this can't you can't stay there like a pastor should be staying there. A pastor should be spending tons of umpteen hours every week preparing his message. 
But for you and for me, like this is why we have, this is why I have to carve out time in the morning because I have to get it done in the morning and I want to have ample time. I don't want to get to the word of God after getting my coffee ready, letting the dogs out, eating my breakfast, praying through just this first introductory prayer. I don't want to get to the word and say, I only have five minutes. Now, if five minutes is all you have, then, then by all means, give him your entire five minutes. Then I would probably take one verse. This is just me. I would probably take one verse. I would read it. I would pray through it. I would meditate on it. I would think about it. And then the next thing I would do, and the next thing I do is I journal. And what I journal just varies. Sometimes I will just start journaling the the context of the passage, like this is what was going on at this time. So I did that when I started first Peter, I was like, okay, this is Peter's audience. This is why he was writing them. This was going, this is what was going on in the church at the time, what they were struggling with. So I started doing that. And then I wanted to get into the, the real meat of the message. What was he saying to them? And then how does that relate to Christians, to believers in, of all times and all places. And then ultimately, how does this relate to me? What is God what is God commanding me to do? What is he trying to open my mind and my eyes and my heart up to? So I journal. I just journal writing different things. If I look up, if I look up and I usually have copied and pasted the text that I'm looking at, I've copied and pasted that into my journal because I use an iPad with a pen or pencil, iPad, pencil, whatever. And then I, and then I'm also just writing, writing. And if I'm looking up cross references, I'll copy and paste those into the journal and highlight, underline, right. And then what I do is I typically share what I'm reading or learning with somebody else. And typically that's my family. Sometimes it's in the, in our men's community, the man of valor that I'll share Here's a, I might even record just a two-minute video or a five-minute video just going, hey, and I record my screen so I'm, they're seeing what I'm writing, and I just talk about the passage. I just talk about it. And I believe that as a man of God, like we're called to make disciples, and so not only should you be reading and studying for personal edification, personal benefit, but I think you should be reading and studying as if you were going to teach other people. Like, how can you disciple somebody else if you can't show them how to study the Bible? You can't show them how to read the Bible. You can't show them the meaning and understanding. So we're not, we don't, we can't stay as infants in the nursery. We have to grow up. Paul worked his tail off to present everyone mature in Christ. Like, there's a maturing process. We're not conformed to the, like, not conformed to this world. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. So you and I, as we're reading and journaling, we need to be thinking, not exclusively thinking. Obviously, these things are, could be deeply personal, but I do think you should be thinking, if I were going to teach this, how would I help somebody understand the truth of the gospel? And then after I do that, so those are the first several things I do that, and then I go and at this time, it's right around 6 o'clock in the morning. Then I go on a walk and talk. 
And that's just with me and the Lord. And it's around my neighborhood. So the other morning when I met my brother at six o'clock, I didn't go on that walk and talk because that would have been my time just to go and walk in my neighborhood. I have an almost two mile little track that I walk and I just pray and I just talk to God and I just let whatever he's been telling me, I just kind of let it sink in and usually convicting me of some type of sin or encouraging me to do something. And so anyway, so that's it. That's how I start my morning. This is how I prepare my mind for action. And now I want you to be thinking, how are you doing that? And I'm, I want to go back to what Paul told Timothy in second Timothy, like he called him, he said, he, he called him an athlete. He called him a soldier. He called him a farmer. So think about that. An athlete trains even when he doesn't feel like it. So it's not every morning that I wake up just pumped to get up so early. Maybe I went to bed late. Maybe I didn't have a great night's sleep. An athlete trains even when he doesn't want to. A soldier follows the commands of his commanding officer no matter the time of day or night. So a soldier trains. Is it fun always? No, it's not fun. And then a farmer works the field knowing and believing with faith that the harvest will come as long as he does not give up. And so Paul talks about these things to Timothy this is who you are, but I want to add something that Peter says. We're also pilgrims here. So we're not, we're in this world, but we're not of the world. So we're here to do a job. We're here to do work. And I'll tell you, my tendency is to get focused on the work that I'm doing, like at work. And I think for guys, a lot of it is, if you're not in full-time ministry, I'm not in full-time ministry. You're thinking and working so much, like we have so much to do, the tendency is just to get caught up into it. So I'm a part of a company, I mean, we are growing very fast. There, We have huge goals, ambitions to grow this company to a certain size. And if I'm not careful, that's what I think about all the time. And I just think, so it's not only like sexual sin that we struggle with. It's just like worldliness. And I want to say, brother, as I'm closing this out, and I, this has been a very long podcast, but I, as I'm closing this out, I just want you to know, only God knows what your life could be, what my life could be if we were sold out to loving him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. Like only he knows. But I promise you, we will never fall in love with Christ more than we love ourselves, more than we love the world, more than we love money, more than we love sex. We will never, ever do that if we don't prepare our minds. And I think early in the morning. Now, I understand there's some of you who have to be at work at six in the morning. I hate that. I hate the thought of that. That, Or maybe you have to be at work at five and there's no margin for quiet time. 
pray. Just pray that the Lord gives you grace to find the time at some point during the day to do this. In closing, helpful exercise, I just wrote this down, a helpful exercise would be to get a pen and a paper and write down this question. What part of my life am I holding back from complete surrender to Christ? Where am I, by my actions, telling God, I got this, don't want to give this to you because I need control in this area of my life. I need control of my image or my reputation or my status. What are the loose garments around my body that trip me up or keep me from running my race? And then I would say, go on your own walk and talk and surrender to him. Like part of my walk and talk is just surrender. Knowing the things that I'm struggling with. All right, brothers. This has been a long one, but man, I just, I want men like this, the church, like God has created men to lead in the church. And I'm afraid that if we're not training the next generation, if the next generation coming up is just content with being addicted to porn and chasing after money and living their best life now, like it's not going to go well for the church. It's not going to go well. So I pray that the Lord would encourage you through his word. I pray that you would fall in love with reading your word, that you would become addicted to your quiet time in the morning, that you would be addicted to getting alone with the Lord. I can't go on without spending time with the Lord. That If you missed a day, you would be like, oh my goodness gracious, I missed it. And I noticed that I missed it. Like I can't wait to get there the next morning. Pray that we would raise up a generation of young believers who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness and that you would just trust that God would fill you up day after day. All right, brothers, I will be back next time with another episode of Porn of the Gospel.